If you have a Bible this morning, we are going to be in the book of Galatians. Um, we, we started a couple weeks ago, um, and we're starting a new series today in the book of Galatians called Gospel Relations. So if you want to be there, it is uh, Galatians 1, 11 to 24. Um, it'll be on the screen. There's a pew Bible under your seat. Or if you have it on your phone, that, that's great too. Here's what it says. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were the apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then, three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. So I declare before God that I am writing, what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. Mouthful. And still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So say this morning, gospel relations, gospel relationships, they change us. Gospel relationships change us first by a transformation internally between us and God. And then externally, through what God has called us to and how we have relations with other people. This series we are starting this morning is going to look at that. How our relationships, once we have received the gospel, are to be different. This series we are looking at, starting today, is the the idea that gospel relationships change us. Then they bring us freedom. And then we're going to look at how they partner together because of the gospel. And then how through the gospel and the relationships we have because of them, that we can confront one another in love. So this morning, we are looking at this idea of the gospel relations, the gospel relationships, that they change us. They change us. And here's the deal. The gospel, it must change us. The gospel has to change us. 
If we believe that we have received the gospel message, but nothing in our life ever changes, then I question whether or not you have actually heard the true and correct gospel message in the first place. Because when you hear and receive the gospel, it changes your life. It transforms it. The gospel changes us. Paul here shares how the gospel changed him and how the gospel must change what was going on in the church of Galatia. So this morning, here's what we're going to look at. Today. This is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the fact that Paul proves his authority through his story. That, that's, that's what we're doing. Paul just kind of goes over his story, his experience, what, what his story has, has been. And he just says, this is where my authority comes from. I don't know about you, but I am glad that most of the characters in the Bible had a very colorful story. They did, didn't they? It's comforting to know that that you don't have to be perfect, you don't have to be cleaned up, you don't have to be a Boy Scout, you don't have to do any of that to follow Jesus. And I don't just mean before you become a Jesus follower, but, but look at all the people that made major mistakes after they followed God. You remember Moses? Moses got in trouble. He didn't get to go to the promised land. Peter, you guys know Peter. He denied Jesus three times the night of the crucifixion. Thomas, Thomas doubted. And then we look at Paul. If you don't know much about Paul, Paul's story is crazy. It's a bonker story, right? Absolutely crazy. So this morning we are continuing to work our way through the first chapter of Galatians, a letter in which Paul writes to the church in Galatia. And this letter he writes, he is both grieved and he is angry. Paul immediately jumps into his point. There are many believing a false gospel in the church in Galatia. Many are being seduced and persuaded to add to the gospel message. Paul comes out right away and says, listen, here is the true gospel. Here is the true gospel message, is that Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless life, yet he died a sinner's death. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And God has raised him to his rightful place at his right hand. And why? Why did he do all that? So that he might do away with our sin, your sin, my sin. As far as the east is from the west, he would remove our sins. So that we might be saved and that we might get to spend all of eternity with God. That we get to be with Jesus forever. The gospel message is this, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I've said that a few times the last couple of weeks. Not Jesus plus Jewish traditions. Not Jesus plus good works. Not Jesus plus baptism. Not Jesus plus communion. Jesus alone is what saves. Believing in him. And he then spends the rest of chapter 1 giving his bona fides, his qualifications, 
why he is an authority on these matters while the false teachers had made a mess of everything. Why Paul should be believed over and above these other teachers that have wormed their way in to the church of Galatia. So number one, Paul establishes the source of the gospel message. Look at verse 12. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Let's not miss this part. This is amazing. Paul, after his conversion on the Damascus road, he didn't go seek out the other disciples. He didn't go seek out the apostles to have them teach him what all of it meant. Look at verse 17. Here's what he did. It says, Nor did I go to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. So instead of going and seeking out these apostles and the other disciples and finding all these people to teach him what he needs to know, he went and he started, he went to Arabia, which is no other disciple was there. And so what happened was this. A couple weeks ago, we, we, we talked about what it took to be an apostle in the historical first century setting. To be an apostle of Jesus, one had to be taught directly by Jesus. So the apostles were the disciples, and the others that were around the disciples that had been taught by Jesus directly. They had received his teaching. They had been his follower. They had heard the good news directly out of his mouth. They heard and they traveled with him. Well, that wasn't Paul, right? So the question was, well, then how does Paul become an apostle? Because if the one qualification for being an apostle is he had to be taught directly by Jesus, that didn't make a lot of sense. The Bible Historians, even Paul himself, identified Paul as an apostle. So why is Paul considered an apostle? Well, it's because of verses 12 and verses 17. Jesus, when he struck Paul down on the Damascus road, right? you remember that story, it's an incredible story about Jesus saying, Paul, Paul, you know, why, are you, why are you persecuting me? And he struck him blind, and he put scales over his eyes. And you guys remember that? So that moment, that, 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 that moment, Jesus had a direct conversation with Paul. And Paul, by a special revelation, a special time of communion with Jesus, Paul was taught everything he needed to know by Jesus himself. I know it seems crazy, right? But that's, that's what the scripture teaches. That's what the Bible scholars teach. Paul got all his knowledge not from anybody else but through Jesus himself. The Greek word for revelation there in verse 12 and in verse 16 is the word apokalupto. 
which literally means to take off the cover or veil, to disclose or to reveal. Jesus somehow actually taught Paul the gospel. Jesus revealed to Paul what was important. Jesus spent some time opening Paul's eyes, removing the blindfold from his heart, the scales from his eyes, and teaching him everything that he needed to know to bring the message of Jesus whom saves the world. Jesus taught him that. Some scholars say Jesus taught him for three years. Some say it was shorter. Some say it was a conversation with Jesus. Others say Jesus illuminated the scriptures to make it clear to Paul what Paul needed to know to reveal the fullness of the gospel. Maybe it was similar to my great-grandfather. I've told that story before, right? My great-grandfather wanted to overthrow the Japanese, so he ran into a cave, got a Bible from the Salvation Army, because he thought they were going to kick the Japanese out. Obviously, the Salvation Army doesn't do that. So, so he ran to a cave, grabbed his Bible, had some food, holed up for a few days, and in that cave... My great-grandfather received the good news of Jesus. And he became a minister. And he, he started churches and Bible colleges and orphanages and all these things because that's what Jesus said to do. So I don't know if it was like that. I don't. I don't know if it was like a dream or some sort of trance or some sort of... But whatever happened, there was a time where Jesus and Paul had a heart-to-heart, and it lasted for a while, and when they were done, Paul was an apostle. He knew everything that he needed to know. Jesus taught him what he needed to know. No one is sure, but Jesus somehow personally taught and revealed to Paul what he needed to receive to preach the good news about Jesus. And then, after that, Paul then becomes the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. When you have a one-on-one moment with Jesus, you must be changed. And when you are endorsed and encouraged and loved and commissioned by Jesus, you go and change the world. Graduates, you go and change the world. Number two, Paul admits he tried to destroy the gospel. Luke verse 13, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible is how it all fits together to make one story. It really does. It all, it's all one story. It's not, it's not 66 books. It's, it's one story. So take the book of Acts. Anyone know why the book of Acts is called the book of Acts? Does anyone actually know the full name of the book of Acts? It's not just Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. The full name of the book, the book of, the, of Acts, the, book, the Acts of the Apostles. So the book is written by a doctor, Luke, who wrote the, one of the Gospels. It's obvious that Luke is a doctor because he is very methodical. He has a ton of attention to detail. Right? He's, he, he read, the, 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 book read, the book of Acts reads like a history book. 
So for Paul's letters, lots of times you can figure out the setting and context of what Paul is writing by lining it up with the book of Acts. Many times in the book of Acts, Paul shows up. And in the beginning, it wasn't a good thing. It wasn't a really good start. He was one of the ones that were responsible for the death of Stephen. Look at Acts 1-3. through Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul, Paul, was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. The false teachers that were perverting and changing and leading people astray in Galatia had waited for Paul to leave. They waited for Paul to leave. And then they started saying things like, Hey, we can't trust this guy. We can't trust Paul. Look how he treated us. Look at the deaths that he helped facilitate. Look at the blood that's on his hands. We can't trust him. He persecuted us. So Paul does what I think we can all learn from something from. He owned his sin. He owned his mistakes. He admitted them. He didn't try to explain them away. He came and said, yes, that is true. That was me. Our world, our society is begging for honesty, for responsibility, for transparency, for authenticity. I love the preaching classes and workshops that I had during my time at Lincoln. I, I did. I, I, took, I took three of them. And we went on preaching summits and retreats. I mean, it was, it was a, a really well-rounded education in preaching. One thing that some of the preaching instructors at that time would teach that I constantly pushed back against was the idea that you shouldn't talk about your struggles. You shouldn't talk about your sin. You shouldn't talk about your temptations. You shouldn't do that from the pulpit. You shouldn't do that while you're preaching. Nobody wants to hear all your dirty laundry. Nobody wants to see you know, that you have problems and issues and struggles. I remember saying to some of them, I'm, I'm sorry, but, but I, I totally disagree. That's all I have. Those are the ways that show I am human. That is how I relate to people, the people that I'm speaking to. And that shows that I am no better than anyone else. And that we are all in this together. We're all on the same path. We're all on the same journey. Some are further ahead than others, but we're all on the same road. Little did I know that a few years later, that would be one of the defining things as to whether people actually listen to and trust what a preacher says. Nobody wants perfection. Nobody wants to hear about a perfect person's life unless it's Jesus. And my life, you guys know this, man, I'm not perfect. 
you too, when you are having gospel relationships with people, you too must own your own stuff. With God, with, with the church, and with those that you are trying to share the gospel with. People don't want perfect people that they can't relate to. People want honest people that have had their own struggles and sins, but have found a better way. Paul owned it, but then he didn't merely slink away. No, he boldly told the rest of the story, which is point three. Paul became a believer of the gospel message. 15 and 16. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Not only did Paul believe, but then Paul became the greatest missionary we've ever seen. Paul took four missionary journeys, traveling to the furthest reaches of the known world, and preached Jesus wherever he went. For years he did this, and many times he wasn't well received. He was broken, he was jailed, he was put on house arrest, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was whipped, he was stoned and left for dead. They thought they killed him. Yet Paul pressed on and spread the good news of Jesus. Of course, this wouldn't be a proper sermon on graduation Sunday without Jeremiah 29-11, right? But this is really where I was headed this whole time. Paul's life embodies that verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and for, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Listen, Paul could have shrunk away. He could have shrunk down. He could have shied away. He could have, he could, could have you know, meekly gone and preached what he was told by Jesus. He, and he could have felt like, woe is me. I shouldn't be up here preaching. Church, if that's the truth, I have no business being up here either. I am no holy man. Sometimes I look back at the things I did in my past, I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed. Sometimes I look at the things I did last week <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck am I doing up here? Hold on to that. Graduates, life is awesome. You've accomplished a major feat. <clears throat> you have hit a major milestone and we are so proud of you. Remember, remember God has plans for you. God has plans for you. He has plans for your life. When you're feeling on top of the world, God has plans for you. I want you to also remember that when you're down. When you haven't done things right. When you've made a mess of things. When you feel totally broken and that you've failed. Can I be transparent and honest with you? That's going to happen. That's life. It's not all puppy dogs and rainbows, right? Life is life. And sometimes life gets you down. And sometimes you mess up. And sometimes you fail. And sometimes... You feel like a failure. God has plans for you. 
Ask anyone that has been a follower of Jesus for a long time. It happens. And I'm often sad that we rip Jeremiah 29.11 out of context and we don't read the verses that follow. Maybe when you're feeling down and out and that you have failed at life, maybe you can read verses 29.11 through 14. Maybe that will be helpful. Here they are. Actually, it starts with verse 10. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for, for you all the good things that I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days... When you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. God has a plan for you when life looks bleak, life looks dark, life looks impossible. God has a plan for you. You have to reach out and touch Him. You have to connect with Him. When you do that, He will rescue you. My friend Mike is here today. Yes, yeah, the one person that you guys don't recognize in the room. Mike um, was my, uh, probably pretty much my main youth sponsor when I was a youth minister in Springfield. He's, he, he's moved on to Colorado now. But his parents live in Macomb. And uh, so he's here today because he's visiting his parents. But he wanted to come ha- hang out with me for, for, for a morning. Here's pictures of my friend Mike. So this is Mike and I in Africa. We're in Kenya. We are on the safari. And this is where we saw so many cool things happen. Right? We saw um, lions getting to biblically know each other. Um, we saw, um, we just saw so many cool things. It was awesome. And that picture is uh, Mike and I in Guatemala. And I always laugh at this picture because, um, first of all, that little fat kid looks just like me, right? And the, the description above him is Gordo, which means fat, right? And then, um, and then the other guy looks like Mike, and it says Delgado, which means tall, right? So Mike and I purposely switched sides so he could try being short and I could try being... Right. He could try being fat, and I could try being tall. Um, but, but that's my good, my good friend, Mike. I'll tell you something about Mike. <laughs> Whenever I would be like, hey, Mike, I want to do this. Mike would be like, sweet, let's do it. Mike, I want to go to Africa. Let's go to Africa. I want to go to Guatemala. Let's go to Guatemala. Let's go to New Orleans and, and after Hurricane Katrina. 
let's do that. And so he, would, he and I would just sit and dream, and we'd make things happen, and we would go on these mission trips, and we'd get students to go along with us, and it was absolutely amazing. You can ask Mike sometime. Well, the time when uh, one of our more difficult students hit him in the head with a shovel in New Orleans, and uh, there was some colorful things said after that. Here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. Mike and I, we were co-workers in the gospel together. We had gospel relationships with each other. We wanted people to know the good news of Jesus. We wanted people to know that Jesus was everything. And that Jesus, you don't add anything to the message of Jesus because Jesus equaled life. And so we traipsed all over the world and we, and we hung out with people and we shared the message of Jesus. There was one time when me and, and, and my best friend Adam and Mike and, and we, we went and there was a guy selling chicks like chickens, like baby chickens. And we're like, let's go buy some of those chickens. Uh, and I was like, and, and then what? I don't know, we'll give them to people. And so we went, we bought a bunch of chickens, and we gave them to the people in the neighborhood. And they were like, yes, meat, right? Your eggs. Jesus makes a huge difference in your life and in the way that you relate to other people, the relationships that you have with those around you when he gets a hold of you. And you and those around you that are like-minded with you, you go and you get on mission and you start to try and change the world however you can. Maybe little pieces, you know. Those, those trips, I don't know what we did to change people for Jesus. But we planted seeds, and we tried our best to do what we could do. And folks, that is what I'm saying in this. It, the gospel relationships change you. They change everything. They change us. Church, graduates, friends, God wants to use you. God wants and has a plan for your life. He wants to use you to do amazing things the only work that only works when you have allowed the gospel message to change you to change your life to be transformed into Christ's likeness did you catch verse 12 in those days when you what when you pray when you pray let's be in relationship with Jesus Let's receive the gospel message. Let's be changed from the inside out and allow your godly relations with people that love Jesus to change you and to change other people. Change us, Spirit. Change us, God. Fill us with your Spirit and change us from the inside out. The gospel changes us. It has to. 